My name is Heath. I am the lead pastor here at Reach, and we are um, done with our series that we finished two weeks ago and are right now going through um, what we call walking in the Word. And that basically is, if you start with us in January, you'll hear it again in a big We think being in the Word personally is something that will transform your life. So we encourage people to read the one-year Bible along with us, which is just a one-year Bible reading plan. So what we do during these kind of times that we're not doing series is we preach out of something that you're potentially reading that week. Um, We find it a a way that encourages to get into the Word. Uh, The people that speak up front uh, aren't the only mouthpieces uh, of God. Uh, that you have access um, through the through the Word of God to God the Father, uh, and we encourage you to be in the Word. Uh, this week, I'm going to be uh, almost the entirety of um, Hebrews four. So, if you've been reading along with us um, and you read Hebrews four, I think Wednesday or Thursday this week, um, that's where I'm going to be landing. Um, and the beauty of all of this is I don't have anything to share with you uh, if God isn't here. So let's invite him into our midst. Um, Dear Heavenly Father, um, I am extremely grateful that you didn't leave us here with no way of discovering your love for us and who you are. But you've given us your word. And so today, as your word is read, as your word is preached... I pray that you, through the Holy Spirit, would do in us what we cannot do in ourselves. Lord, I pray that you would awaken us in this room. That we would not be people just of Christ, but we would be people in Christ. That we would be people engaging in a relationship with our Lord and Savior every day. And that relationship would utterly change our lives. And so, Lord, I pray right now that there would be no condemnation in today, that there would be potential conviction to move us into action and obedience to following a loving, merciful Savior. So we thank you for Hebrews. We thank you for the words uh, that you've given us today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, my, uh, you'll see this a little bit if you read in three, and actually uh, three or four weeks ago I preached out of a section of Hebrews 3 in our series talking about community and how important it is for us to live in that community. And without that community, we, we are tempted to trust ourselves, which is very dangerous. And having other believers around us um, ultimately protects us from this, which isn't going to be uh, on the screen. But let me just kind of set up where 4 is taking us. It says in verse Chapter 3, verse 12, it says, Take care, brothers, lest you in any, in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the loving God. But extort one another every day as long as it is today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. And one thing that you will discover in Hebrews, Hebrews is is uplifting Jesus above everything else. Everything it's it's most likely written to a Jewish audience that is fully aware and we're going to talk about in, in in chapter 4 things that went in in the Old Testament went down and it's preaching to and talking to a people that understood 
And here he is, because this is, he's sending this letter to a church that's being persecuted, imprisoned, who has the temptation to walk away from their faith because being faithful to the Lord is dangerous for them. And so what I want to do today, and there, there's a phrase that just stuck out to me as I read it this week, um, that's uh, midway through chapter four. It says, today, if you hear his voice. And so what I'm hoping today stirs in us is this reality that our relationship with Christ is not based on dates. There's a dilemma sometimes that we, we live in the past. We live on these dates, that these things happen. This is the day. I know the, I don't remember the day exactly, but in July of 94, I said yes to Jesus. And I remember in about six years later, I got baptized. Um, I remember the lake that we were in, and it was a pivotal moment in, in my life and faith, and, and those become moments. But the danger is that we are tempted to live based on dates and not the presence. See, our lives were meant to be lived in a day-to-day relationship with a loving Savior. See, our life with Christ is not a list of dates of the past, but a relationship that is to be lived in the presence. See, I wouldn't be a good husband and sometimes I'm not. I'm just going to throw that out there. So just in case you think, man, he is perfect. I'm not. Everybody that really knows me realizes that. I'm pretty good. Don't get me wrong, but I'm not perfect. But I would not be a good husband if the only thing I did was remember the important dates that we got married on February the 28th, 1998. And that my wife's birthday is December the 6th, 2000, not 2000. She's really young. Hot smoking wife, 1976, bicentennial baby, just like me. But I wouldn't be a good husband if, if I, I knew those. Like, or, here I am, our anniversary is coming up, and I sent a card, but I did nothing else throughout the year. I did nothing else but remember these pivotal moments. I wouldn't be a good husband if that's the way I live, but we live that way with Christ all the time. That we stake our relationship, not on our day-to-day involvement with Him in our life, but we stake our relationship with Him based on events that happened to us years ago. Which are pivotal. I'm not discounting those. Like, I I love that our anniversary is in the middle of February. Uh, And the reason why it's February 28th is not because of any grand reason. We were supposed to get married in in May of that year. And my wife was living in Wisconsin at the time, and that was just too far. And so we moved up our, our, our wedding date to February 28th because that was the Saturday after my um, Saturday at the beginning of my spring break because I was in college. And so literally, was in class on Friday, left class, went home, went to our rehearsal, got married on Saturday, Sunday. Uh, Saturday night, Sunday night, we stayed in Raleigh at a hotel there. It is weird every time we ride by it. Awkward moments, but just, hey, there, there's that hotel. Yeah. Okay, you, you see what I'm saying. And then we went on a, we went on a, a cruise for, you know, uh, five days, and we came back, and we collected all our stuff, and I went back to Appalachian and went at our one-room efficiency, and we back to school on Monday. 
was just crazy. I was an elementary education teacher, I mean, um, degree major, and most of the people in my class were girls, and they thought it was odd that I left on Friday and then came back the fo- a week later on Monday, and I was married. It's just weird. I mean, kids didn't do that. Um, so one of the families in our church, I won't point them out, but she was singing up front over here. Uh, every time our anniversary comes around, she said that we got married when we were 12, because we have been married for 20 years. But it would be neglecting of me to just only rely on these moments, but not engage with her every day, not have relationship with her, not look forward to seeing her, but only have these moments that we reflect back on. And the tension with all this, and you're going to see this all throughout um, Hebrews that we're going to go through, verses 1 through 13. That living moment by moment, which is what God asks us to do with him, is hard. Anybody else? Like, anybody else? Don't raise your hand, but you, know, you get me. It's difficult to live in this place of like, I am submitted and committed to my Lord and Savior every moment of every day. It's difficult because life is difficult. And there's so many things in our life that are trying to pull our attention and our affection away from Jesus. And the writer of Hebrews is, is crying out to a people that are struggling with the same thing, saying, hey, please don't forget don't forget Jesus, who is above all things. We just, in chapters 1 and 2, he, he lets them know he's above the angels, which are the ones that delivered to Moses the word of God. He was above them. The writer's trying to bring into our understanding that there is nothing higher than Jesus. And Jesus has painted this picture through the words of how we can have a relationship with him. And if, and if it is true of who he is, which we do believe that, then we should, in our power, do everything we can to live in obedience to him who loves us. Because the truth is that if you submit everything to Jesus and live a life of obedience and love, like we sang about a second ago, your life will be the best it can be. Not easy. We know for a fact that just because you're obedient to Jesus does not mean your life will be easy. Actually, Jesus tells us that that if we are going to live like him, we will be persecuted. But in the middle of that, we'll have rest, which is what we're going to talk about a little bit today. And that's where I want us to be. I want you to be a people that are resting in the middle of a storm, trusting and believing that God is big enough to do all the things necessary to give you the life in Him that you desire. Notice that I said in Him and not the life you desire. None of us won that $1.6 billion, which we all thought, if I could just win that. You know, some of you even said you'd build me a church. And I'd be grateful, but if that was the only thing that you did for the kingdom, I would be like, yeah. seriously, $1.6 billion. Anyway, it's probably, by the grace of God, none of us won $1.6 million, because that would be dangerous probably for your soul. So let's get into the word. Hebrews 4, starting in verse 1. It says, therefore, and therefore is, is, is back to verse 19 of 
um, chapter 3, which we don't have up there, but it leads in verse 19. It's so see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. He's setting up this premise that those people of God didn't enter the, into the rest that God had promised them and God had brought them to because of their unbelief. And so that's where he's starting. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, still stands, still available, Regardless of where you've been or what you've done, the grace and beauty of the Lord still is available for us. It still stands. It says, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. I know a lot of people don't like when you incorporate fear into our relationship with Jesus. And it's not a fear that we live in moment by moment. It is a fear of understanding that God is who he says he is. It is the beginning of wisdom that is fear of the Lord. Because we understand that God is who he says he is. And when he says these things, we don't we don't get an opportunity. We don't get a choice to decide whether it is true or not. In verse two, it says, for good news came to us just as to them. So he's comparing the, the, the proclamation of who Jesus was and what he came to do on the cross for the people to the people of Israel. He said, good news came to us just as it did to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them. And this is my fear for the American church is that lots of us have heard the message of the gospel and it did not benefit us. It may benefit you in the moment of going, hey, I'm connected to a church and that church believes in Jesus but the church's belief in Jesus does not do anything to you. I love the conversation that happens when the Gospels, when Jesus is confronting his disciples about who people say he is, which is going around. And they are like, well, so-and-so says that you're John the Baptist raised from the dead, which doesn't really mix because they were interacted together. So, you know, that didn't work. That maybe you're a prophet raised from old. and They had all these theories and maybe you're the Messiah and he tells them, because they're espouting what other people believed or what other people thought about Jesus. And he says to them, what do you, who do you say that I am? Because the truth is, you explaining who Jesus is does not do anything for you if you've not received the benefit of the belief. It says, because they were not united by faith with those who listened. In other words, they didn't believe it. They doubted God. They distrusted him. They did not have faith in his promise to give them a better future than they had in Egypt. There was times where they were frustrated at God who just freed them from an oppressor because they didn't have any meat to eat. He was literally supplying food for them every day, but it was not meat. And they were ready to turn back to their enslavement. For a piece of meat. We ate in Egypt. Good. And they for their belly's sake. Were interested in going back into oppression. So that they could have meat to eat. And God out of his loving justice. Sends them quail that land everywhere. And he still judged them. Because they didn't believe. 
It's not that they'd ask, hey, God, provide us some meat. They were complaining to a God that rescued them. And so they gave up on God and they wanted their old life. They, at one point, Moses disappears for 40 days up on the mountain having a conversation with God. And they went to the priest and said, hey, could you make us a golden calf? And after they saw, because we all, like all of us, have conversations with you, and we read through the um, the judgment that God brought to, brought to Egypt, the frogs and the blood in the Nile and the, the hail and all these things. If we saw that after Moses says God's going to do, and then it happened over and over and over again, we would go, oh, we would believe. But here's the people that saw it over and over and over again and were rescued out. They walked through the Red Sea as dry land and got on the other side and God closed the water up over the army that's after them. And just a couple of days later, they're in disbelief. That's our danger is that here is God showing himself to us, telling us over and over again in his word who he is. And then we, because of what's going on, choose to disbelieve. In verse 3 it says, for, for we who have believed entered the rest, as he said, I swore in my wrath they shall not enter the rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day, seventh day from all his works. Our rest comes from trusting and believing in Christ's finished work on the cross. Let me just tell you, this is something I I feel like I learned right before I planted this church six years ago. Someone set me down and basically gave me a word and said, hey, if you don't learn to enter into the rest, you'll never finish what God has called you to. And I'm like, so I need to get more sleep. Yeah. Now I was wrong. I, so I read it. I read it. <laughs> I don't speak well either. Um, you should see me type an email if you think that's bad. So I started reading and researching on the Sabbath rest. And the Sabbath rest wasn't meant for, you know, like for us to sleep necessarily. God, and then I read this article, it says God did not rest on the seventh day because he was tired. God rested on the seventh day because the work was finished. And our rest that we get to enter into right now isn't because there isn't things going on, that there aren't crazy things going on in our life, and not that we don't need God to respond, but we're resting in His finished work. Like, could you imagine right now if you could, and you can be, in that rest, even if your world is falling apart around you, you can enter into that rest through belief in the promises that God has given us. That we are his children. (laughs) That he has good things for us. And so today, where is your rest coming from? Where is your security? I mean, none of us won the $1.6 billion, so our security is not coming from that. So where are you resting in? Are you resting solely in the works of God? Because anything other than Christ, anything other than our belief in him that we're resting in and trusting in can be taken away in a moment. 
Cancer can come in and ruin your day. Your life can be unsettled tomorrow. I don't know if you know this, but we had a hurricane that came through here a little bit ago, and some of us are still unsettled. No home. You know, if, if our trust is in this thing that can be taken away, our rest can be taken with that thing. But if our rest is in him, nothing can mess with it. In verse 5, and it says, again in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Verse 6, it says, since therefore it remains for some to enter it. And those who formerly received good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again, it appoints a certain day today, saying through David, so long afterward, in the words already quoted, this is my title. Today, if you hear his voice, voice, do not harden your hearts. And we don't, you know, most of us don't think we've got hardened hearts. You know, like we're soft, we're not soft people, men. We're tough men. But we have soft hearts, right? We don't think we're hardening our hearts, but he's talking about unbelief. And he's saying here today, not some future day, but today, if you hear his voice. And let me just tell you, and I know we're we're probably mixed company on the voice of God in here. Mixed company in the sense of, does God still speak today? And let me just tell you, um, whether it is through this word or through the radio or through a conversation that you have with people, God is still Speaking. And the problem is, I believe, me included at times, we don't want to hear what he has to say. And so the hardening of our hearts isn't necessarily like, oh, I don't want Jesus because we still want Jesus because we still want heaven. Not so much as that we want heaven, but that we don't want hell. And, And here's this goodness from God of saying, if you hear my voice. Part of the dilemma and part of the reason why we do uh, this walking through the word is because I want you to be in the word because sometimes I get it wrong. I am flesh and sometimes I misrepresent, not on purpose. But you're not going to get misrepresented if you're in the word, letting God speak to you every day. If you're new here, like don't get don't take that statement too far. Okay, like I've not been shut down from preaching heresy or anything, but like sometimes I talk about poop way too much and, you know, haven't in a while, but I just felt like I should bring that into a sermon. Um, not my poop, just like duty in general. <laughs> Sorry. Today, there is always hope. Stop looking at yesterday for confidence in your entrance into his rest. Today, trust and believe and act on those. Because it is not yesterday that's getting you into heaven. Our relationship with Jesus today is what is helping us enter into the rest that God has for us. And then he continues on. Talking into Joshua, it says in verse 
8, it says, for if Joshua had given them rest, meaning he took them over what, what Moses could not into the promised land and they entered in and they took ground away, but they still didn't get the rest. God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God talking about us available for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Look, if you're still trying to earn the affection of the father based on your works, you'll never enter into the rest because that's living in unbelief. Because he has said that this is a free gift. from Him. So that no one can boast. And so if we're sitting here trying to do our best, and I'm not talking about don't read, don't do good things. But if you're letting those things be your rest, be your trust, you are going to miss the rest. You're already missing it because he's saying here, he says, have spoken. It says um, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Because the work is finished. The moment you surrender and submit to the lordship of Christ, the work for your soul is done. Now, you're not completely... This process of sanctification, you becoming like Christ, is still going on. You may think, oh, well, I've still got issues. We all still have issues. That the work of our entrance into his rest is done. In verse 11, it says, let us therefore strive to enter that rest, not the rest that you, by your works and your effort, enters you into, but the rest that God offers us so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. And, and here's 12 and 13 is really going back to the word. How do we do this? How do we validate that we're entering into the right rest? It is only going to be through the word. So in verse 12, it says, For the word of God is living and active. Read it. It will punch you in the gut over and over and over again as you think, oh, I'm doing good. And then you read the word and you're like, oh, my gosh, there's so much that I need to do. And it draws you back to the place of surrender, it brings you back to that place of going, God, I cannot without you. It is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of the soul and the spirit of joints and marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. You want to figure out where your heart is? Get in the word and let the word tell you because we are self-deceptive. We will look at somebody in the face and believe we're good when we're not. We will, you know, we, and we do it. And I know it's a cultural thing as we go when people come up to you and we do it at church all the time. How are you doing? I'm good. Like your life is falling apart and you will look somebody right in the face with all sincerity because you don't really want to open up and tell them what's really going. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good, brother. I get hit by that sometimes, like when I, well, I want to say I'm good, and I'm like, there's more to that. I know they're not asking. Most people that ask you that, if you just went into a little monologue of how life really is, they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. 
Just, I just, I was just saying, hey, like that's what I really meant. Not wanting to have a therapy session here. In verse 13, it says, and no creature is hidden from his sight. But all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him who we must give an account. You may be hidden from everyone else. Your private life, your private web searches, your private dialogue with people you shouldn't be talking to, your private, you know, like cutting a little stuff on the side, you know, little, you know the IRS is never going to know about that. The eyes of the Lord are not hidden from your deceptive ways to other people. He is not, there's not a, a, a sheet that is pulled over his face and he is unaware. He is aware and the, the, the beauty of that, and this is the beauty of the gospel, is that he's aware and still willing to give you freedom and give you rest. Like, we're going to do a series in December talking about the awe of God. Because honestly, I think it's the one thing that we're missing. The one thing that we're missing from this place of going, God is so much bigger than we give Him credit for it. And in these things that we've lost the awe as we look at this, and we're going to use December as a place not just to, you know, get lost in Christmas, but elevating what Christmas was really about. So I'm going to invite our worship team forward. And I got a few questions for you as we go in. And uh, as always, if you're new here, we, we always close in a song, and we don't do that so we can keep you a little bit longer or keep you away from the food trucks that will be outside in the parking lot. I don't know if you all know that, but there's like a food truck rally afterwards. We're not putting it on. The town of Leland is. But if food trucks like get you excited, there we go. And I've just ruined any possibility of me getting you to focus on this last part. And I apologize for that. So here, here's a couple of questions as we go into worship. We put a, a song of worship at the end because your best opportunity to respond to what God's stirring. And I, I'm, I'm believing always. I don't get up here just to share a message so that we can record it and say that we had church. I'm here to, to, to preach the word of God so that that stirs something in you that moves you into a response of obedience or surrender. And so the best time for that to happen is now, not later. Not after, you know, your guilt and shame that comes from eating at food trucks for the amount and possibly the fried components. So here, here's some questions for you. Today, and this is back, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And here's the question. Are you hearing his loving voice? Like, there's not condemnation that comes to Romans 8, 1, for there is, there, now no, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So if you are in Christ Jesus or are going to be in just a few minutes, no condemnation. Are you hearing his loving voice? Do not harden your hearts to his love and forgiveness. Stand with confidence 
in the love and stop looking for the golden calf. Stop looking for that other thing that will never give you what Jesus gives you. And here's the, here's the last thing. What do you need to say to the Lord as we enter back into worship? If God, just like verse 13 said, that, that we are all naked and exposed to the eyes of Him. If, if that's so, what have we not verbalized to Him? What is going on in you that you've, you're, you're suppressing, even though He is already aware of it? And so to enter into that rest, into the worship right now, what do you need to say to God? And say it. Walk in that freedom. Look, playing church was never something that we came to Leland to do. I don't like religious things, in which I don't believe Christianity in its true form is religion. In a sense that there's a system of rules. It's a relationship with a living God. Who wants a day-to-day, moment-by-moment relationship with you here, now. So that you can enter into peace and rest and joy now. In spite of your circumstances. Waiting and longing for the true rest that is coming in Him at the end of our life. So if you're here this morning and you've never surrendered And I don't mean you've not come to church. I'm not saying that you didn't raise your hand at one point. I did that several times before I was 18 years old. Until the day that I really surrendered to Jesus. Grew up in church. Went to Sunday school. Went to youth group. Did all the stuff. Could tell you, oh, I love Jesus. He died for my sins. Blah, blah, blah. But it was nothing to me. Other than something that you tell people to identify you as a Christian. And then I was surrendered in July 94 to Jesus. And my life has never been the same. This was not my plan. Plan a church. My plan was to be a selfish, self-centered person and do whatever Heath wants and make Heath happy. And that doesn't work either. And so this morning, if you're here and and that's been your story that you've been in church, but you've never really surrendered and you know. I'd rather you take a little bit of embarrassment. I'm not going to make you do anything. I'm not going to make you raise a hand or stand up. I'd rather you take a little bit of embarrassment of going, hey, I, I was wrong all these years and I need Jesus. And submit and surrender to him today and have the rest of your life to enter into the joy that he offers in the real relationship with him. Then you continue to pretend. And the simplicity of that is, is that Jesus died to pay the penalty for your sin completely. That you had no hope of ever freeing yourself from it. And that he proved himself to be exactly who he was when he rose from the dead and showed himself to his disciples and the people in the area that he is alive, just like he said he would before he died. And surrender, have a, have a heart conversation. There's not a, a rote, like say these words. There's no magic words, just like there's no magic beans. There's no magic words. There's just a heart conversation of going, I cannot, you can. I want to surrender to you and begin a journey. So let's pray.
Dear Heavenly Father, it is by your grace and mercy alone that we even have the ability to say yes to you. And so this morning, whether we're being introduced to you for the very first time or whether we've been in relationship with you and our relationship has been strained and disconnected and just disjointed, Lord, I pray that you would bring unity again to our relationship with you. Lord, I pray just like David said in the Psalms, it's quoted here in Hebrews, that we want to hear your voice. And we want to have soft, pliable hearts to hear it and choose to be obedient to you. And so, Lord, you know what every single person in this room needs from you this morning, which is you. And Lord, I pray during this last song that your Holy Spirit You, the presence of the living God, the presence of God that raised Jesus from the dead would would hover in this room. That it would spark a revival in our own hearts to the person and work of Jesus. I pray that you would bring back an excitement for the living God who chose to put on skin and live A life that we could not and die the death that we deserve to give us freedom. So this morning as we continue in worship, I pray that you would do what only you can do in and through us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.